This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakamere Pod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. T.S. Eliot The going had been tough, but no one ever said summoning Mount Shasta was a walk in the park. Heading up a narrow, snow-covered chute, Rob's left leg suddenly sank into a soft section up to his thigh. He immediately felt the snow fill in around his leg, and he could not pull himself out. It took a big effort from his hiking partner to pull him free, and this was on the heels of a car-sized boulder breaking free above them and tumbling by just to their left an hour ago. They pushed on regardless. They reached Misery Hill at about 12,000 feet, and the weather began to turn. The wind whipped up, the temperature dropped from cold to painful, and breathing became harder and harder. 
they made the decision to push on and hope the weather would improve. After another 45 minutes of uphill, they had their first view of the summit. Victory was in sight. Rob turned to his partner to see if he shared the excitement growing within him. As he turned, he saw his hiking partner collapse. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Thank you for tuning in, and I think you are really going to enjoy this week's episode. We have a special guest today, our first official trail correspondent, Rob. Welcome to the pod, Rob. Thank you, Doc. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, Definitely my first time on a podcast, so it's an exciting opportunity to talk about hiking with you. Nice, nice. It's important that we we have these discussions about hiking because I know we're all going stir-crazy at this point. Absolutely. Can't wait to get back out there again. Yeah. Getting a bit bored of walking around my backyard. So I put the request out there on the pod. I think one of the, I put it out every episode, but you, you responded pretty quickly and said, Hey, I would like to be a trail correspondent. And so here you are. I know you're not out on the trail. You'll get there eventually, hopefully. And uh, we're looking to have some good material from you, but how long have you been listening to the JFM pod and, and how did you stumble across it? Uh, I think I joined to the pod a couple of episodes in, uh, back in February, I think I want to say. Um, and at the time I was doing a lot of driving for work. I was driving up and down California a lot. Uh, and I was getting bored of listening to the same old music and the radio just wasn't doing it. So I'd only started listening to podcasts about a year ago. Um, so I just typed in pretty loosely hiking a national park, I think in the Spotify. And then there it was, I think it was the second one on the list. I was, yeah, which was pretty cool. Um, Gave you a listen. I like the catchy jingle at the start. Um, yeah, fun episode. And then, uh, yeah, we went from there and been listening every week since. Nice. Thank you. So I was, it, was, it was the second one that came up on the search? It was, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely top five. Pretty easy. I didn't have to scroll down too far. So, yeah, you guys are, guys are hitting the heights. All right. Awesome. Do you have a, a favorite episode thus far? Um, I, I like the High Sierra Trail one, actually. Yeah, I was a big fan of that. That sounds a lot of fun because um, that's actually, that was actually a backup. If I couldn't do the GMT this year, I was going to get out and do that. So, but maybe that'd be uh, maybe a warm-up hike, honestly, this year if it works out, or if not, maybe next year. So that was good to hear about that trip. 
You know, I've been wondering what's next for, for myself as well. And I was thinking about the High Sierra Trail, just doing the whole, the whole trail, not just a section like we had done before. So if you are interested in doing the High Sierra, get, let me know and we'll, we'll get out there together. Absolutely. That sounds like a, that'd be a killer episode as well after that, I think. Awesome. We could do some, some uh, clips right from the trail. Be great. Now, Rob doesn't sound like a trail name uh, that I've heard before. Do you, do you have a trail name or are you still looking for one? I don't. Yeah, Rob is unfortunately a very uh, generic English name. Um, yeah, I'm jealous of these trail names. Um, I didn't really know they existed until, uh, and they weren't, and they were a universal hiker thing until pretty recently. So, uh, yeah, hopefully the GMT this year is going to be a great opportunity to pick one up. Um, yeah, I like all, all your guys' trail names that you have. Uh, adds a nice touch to it. So, yeah, pretty stoked to pick one up hopefully this year. Yeah, you can't just pick a pick your own trail name or just come by it loosely. It has to be earned. And you know, you know, from, uh, from listening that, you know, chopper, I mean, that's, a, that's a proud name to own because oh. you know, he, 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 he got that in a ride, ride up in the air. Definitely. I feel like I'd rather have a chopper than skids, unfortunately. Yeah. Fair enough. Yes. Now I know you're currently up in Northern California, but you sound like you weren't born there. Where do you, where do you hail from originally? Yeah, so Northern California is my home currently, and I hope it is for a long time to come, but we'll see. Um, so I'm from England originally, and I grew up in a village uh, in the southeast corner of England. I don't know if villages actually exist in the U.S., to be honest. Uh, I think probably a small town is the nearest thing, but um, yeah, I grew up in a village of about 150 to 200 people, more. Um, this is out in the countryside in England, but um, it's actually only 35 miles like directly from the center of London, so... Um, yeah, you're close to civilization, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of a fun place to grow up as a kid. Uh, we can kind of walk around and cycle everywhere. So, yeah, uh, but England feels like a, a long way away from now. And what's the what's the name of the village? You want to give a shout out to your your buddies and your family that are still back there? Yeah, it's called Sissinghurst. Um, and if you Google it, actually, it's probably a top hit because uh, there's actually a castle there, a famous castle uh, in the village. So. We do actually get uh, tourists come through now and again in the summer. Sissenhurst? How do you spell that? Yeah, it's uh, S-I-S-S-I-N-G-H-U-R-S-T. Okay, so uh, if, you, if you are friends or family of Rob back in Sissenhurst, make sure you tune in. I'll be looking on the analytics of Anchor to see if I have any new listeners in, in Sissenhurst, England. <laughs> Very good. Now, before we get too far down the trail, though, let me take care of some preliminaries. Rob, I know you've been following along as we have worked tirelessly to bring in the state of Alabama into our listening audience. We've got our Arizona, we've got Arkansas, we've got Alaska, but no Alabama yet. So as you know, I'm trying to get all 50 states tuned in and I'm, and I'm starting with the A's. So come on, Alabama, join the party. But Rob, you know what? We have added an additional country. We now have listeners in 15 countries, including our newest addition, Switzerland. Rob, have you ever been to Switzerland? Oh, first shout out to Switzerland for joining in. Uh, I haven't, but I have eaten their I'm a big fan of it. Um, yeah, Switzerland's uh, definitely on the ever-grown list of places that I would like to get to. Uh, I think they have the Matterhorn there out in the Alps, which is just like a super, super gnarly looking mountain. Um, definitely some cool hiking out there and a uh, pretty cool culture, I think. Yeah, definitely a hiking country, if uh, there ever was one. I can't wait to get out there myself. We've, we've actually been planning a, a trip overseas at some point, and we, 
we actually have settled on uh, a trip to Ireland and Scotland in October, if everything allows for that. And the, the second runner up was a trip to Northern Italy and Switzerland. Love to get out there and do a little bit of hiking. Um, all right, Rob, on to you and your stories. As you know, as a frequent listener to the pod, we do have uh, a weekly feature called Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And so at the end of the episode, we pick out a pro tip that our listeners, for our listeners, based on the free flow conversation that we have during the episode. So I want you to be on a lookout for some pro tip candidates as we move through the episode today. Perfect. I think I've got a few in mind already, but yeah, let's see what comes. Okay. You can't plan it. It just has to, has to spring forth from, yeah. from our conversation. Okay. Now today's episode, it, it might take, you know, 15 minutes. It might take uh, two hours. I have no idea how long this conversation is going to go. I know you've taken some pretty, pretty epic trips yourself, and I can't wait to hear about them and kind of explore them with you uh, for our listeners. Uh, but before we get to that, why don't you give us a, a quick sketch of uh, just your background, where you are now, how you get into hiking, and, you know, feel free, feel free to throw in some family information because, you know, we're nosy, we're nosy out here, so. All right. Yeah. So as I said, uh, I grew up in England and I lived there until I was uh, 22 years old. Uh, I went to college in England and uh, I kind of just got into a job straight out of college and I was working for about a year. Um, and it was pretty fun. I do, uh, I do science research. Uh, so I was just working in kind of a, a small research lab. And after about a year, I was getting pretty restless of that, um, kind, of, kind of dreaming a little bigger. And pretty much that same day, actually, my boss spoke to me. Um, he had a couple of contacts actually in the US and he was like, how do you fancy going and spending uh, six to 12 months in the US? And I was like, sounds good. Where is it? He said, uh, Fargo, North Dakota. And I was like, I have no idea where that is. Um, so yeah, did a quick Google search, watched the movie. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go there anymore, to be honest. Um, but yeah, did a little, but yeah, uh, a couple of months later, I found myself on a flight to New York. And then a couple of days later, uh, I landed in Fargo, which is one of the smallest airports I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like it was kind of, yeah, such a quick process of doing it. Doing it. Uh, I was half expecting nobody to like be there at the airport to pick me up and I just kind of got like conned into something, but no, um, my boss picked me up and took me to a house in Fargo and then said, see you at work tomorrow. Um, yeah, so that was now August, 2016. That was, well, that was a long time ago. Um, what, kind of, what kind of scientific research did you do in Fargo, uh, North Dakota? I do, uh, and I, I, do, I just do it still now. Uh, it's crop research. Uh, so actually in, uh, in Fargo, I was doing sugar beet research. Um, not a lot of people really know about sugar beets. And I feel like a lot of people think of Dwight Schrute uh, from the office with his beet farm. And that's kind of the image. Yeah. I just played that, I guess. So yeah, doing some research with that. Um, I'm a, a plant pathologist, I guess, by name. So pretty much a doctor, a doctor of crops. Um, yeah. So we're trying to prevent them getting disease and, uh, yeah, keep them nice and healthy. Um, so I spent, yeah, six months up in Fargo. Um, I survived the winter there, which was definitely interesting coming from England. We get about a week's worth of snow every year, but, um, yeah, winter up there is, yeah, it's no joke. I think it's actually one of the snowiest towns in the U S except for like Alaska or something, but, um, yeah. So negative 50, Maybe 50 days are pretty common. Um, yeah, which was so did, obviously, yeah. so. did you get some cold weather hiking in, or uh, you, you could skip that, that part? It's yeah. like the run from the car to the house was pretty much <laughs> um, prevent anything, anything from freezing. Yeah, it was. It's intense up there. Yeah, it's uh, there's some pretty hardy people, but definitely some of the nicest people I've ever met. So yeah, really friendly and welcoming, which is cool. Um, how, how did it compare to the movie? 
it's it's very different. I can thankfully say that. And uh, yeah, I think they need to get a lot more tourism out there. So yeah, I just need to put that out there for Fargo. Yeah, very, very cool friendly town. So I was definitely worried though um, for a second. You know, I'm going to have to check and see if we have any listeners in North Dakota. I think we do. Perfect. Yeah, I'll have to... <laughs> So, yeah, so that was, so I actually did six months uh, living and working in Fargo, um, and it was February 2017 when I left there, and from Fargo, I moved to uh, Davis, California, and people might know Davis because of uh, the UC, the University of California that's up there, and I started then working in a research lab there, and I've been working with grapes now, Um, that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years, and just uh, last September, I started my master's degree. And that's going pretty well, yeah, and enjoying myself. Um, so yeah, I've been, been in California now for about three years, and yeah, pretty much try to get around as much of uh, California as, as I can, because there's just like an insane amount of hiking. Like, a, I mean, yeah, every weekend I was trying to get out uh, somewhere, somewhere different, which was cool. So yeah, um, I'm getting. So how how far are you of, from the how far are you from the Sierras uh, in Davis there? Well, on a clear day, you can see uh, the snow-capped peaks out on Tahoe. So actually, yeah, just this weekend, we had really nice clear weather. Um, so it's about, uh, it's less than two hours for me to drive up to Lake Tahoe, which is right on the northern tip of the Sierra. And it's about three hours to Yosemite Valley for me from Davis. So definitely done some uh, little weekend trips here and there. Um, pretty easy, yeah. Nice. And we, we've we've covered some ground on this podcast about... Uh, not only hiking in the Sierras, but some other smaller, shorter trips, but those are mostly in Southern California. So I'm interested to hear about some of your trips up there in, in Northern California. You've got, you've got uh, quite a few, I think you can talk about tonight. Yeah. Southern California. I've actually only been probably a handful of times, but uh, yeah, it's obviously very different in Northern California, very different type of hiking, but um, yeah, some really cool stuff down there and definitely a few uh, kind of big hikes down there. Some of the bigger mountains I plan to come down and check out sometime. Yeah, now you are in your master's program at Davis? I am, yeah. First first year of my master's, uh, another another year to go. Uh, depending on the COVID situation, I can I can kind of still do a little bit of uh, research right now, but working with uh, crops, it's a little difficult to do that from home. So, yeah, I'm hoping things will pick up soon and still be on track to graduate next year. So are you you're specializing in some area of crops? Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, particularly with grapes. Uh, so I spend a lot of time visiting different uh, vineyards and uh, pretty much uh, my master's is to protect them from different types of disease, uh, which are a big deal for grapes in California and worldwide. So yeah, uh, sustainable environmental solutions to uh, diseases. So with a master's degrees in, in I'm just going to say grapes, I know there's probably a more technical yeah. term for that, but... <laughs> With a master's in grapes, you would would you are you looking to catch on with a vineyard somewhere? Honestly, that would probably be the dream. Um, yeah, some sort of vineyard somewhere, uh, being like a, a crop advisor, perhaps. Um, sounds pretty fun because you can kind of travel around to different vineyards. And the best thing about grapes is they're grown in uh, a lot of cool areas, South America, Europe. So, yeah, getting uh, getting specialized in that seems pretty fun and good opportunity to travel around and see some cool places and fit in some hiking. Absolutely, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't tell my boss that that's the main reason the trip, but it would be. Now, are you working for the same company that you did in Fargo right now, or are you, that's completely your, that's separate? Completely different. Uh, in Fargo, I was actually working for North Dakota State University, uh, and then Davis, I was working for, for the UC in a, in a research lab just as a worker, and then I transferred to a student. So, it's like, yeah, so actually I've been 
I did my college uh, undergraduate in England. And actually, since then, I've actually still been working in universities, actually, because um, that's, that's just a great environment to be a researcher in, regardless of being a student or not. So, yeah, lots of exciting opportunities there. And so how long have you been in Davis now? This is just your, the end of your first year, right? Uh, oh, no, Davis actually was about, uh, about three years. Uh, I went from Fargo to Davis. So, yeah, just first year of Masters. But I've been, been living and working in Davis for about three years. Okay, so you've been able to, to gather up uh, a new friend group, social group. Uh, any other hikers uh, out there with you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, pretty much uh, my closest friends right now I've met through uh, doing outdoor things um, and hiking and backpacking. So, yeah, my friends actually got me into backpacking because before California, I'd never actually, I've done a bit of Carl Camden, but I never actually put my backpack on and like put everything I needed to survive for a night on. So, yeah, luckily uh, met a couple of really cool people and uh, they got me into that pretty quickly. And yeah, from there I was hooked. So, yeah, definitely making, uh, making some good friends and contacts was, was needed for this. So let's talk about that. You, you make some new friends and they say to the, something to the effect of, Hey, you want to go backpacking? And what are your, what are your thoughts? You ever thought about slinging on the backpack before and, and uh, hauling all your, your gear out there with you? Dude, definitely. Yeah. I mean, just doing like, I was pretty much just doing the, the day hiking up to that point and uh, what left, yeah, moving first to California, I just wanted to uh, hit up all the national parks as much as I could. Um, Cause they look so cool. But then after a while of like visiting Yosemite a couple of times, um, I was like, yeah, I mean, as soon as you get out of the valley, there's just all this other area out there when you look on a map. So I was just super curious to stick on a back and then get out there for a couple of days. So yeah, I was uh, very excited actually to get the opportunity to do that. And uh, I just did that push, I think, because yeah, sure, getting into backpacking can be a little expensive. So uh, yeah, luckily I had the right environment uh, of friends to do that. So. And what kind of, what kind of gear do you use? What, what's your standard, uh, your standard pack and sleeping setup? Yeah, standard pack is I've had the same backpack since uh, first started, which is a Osprey 50 liter backpack. Big fan of those. Um, I've spent a lot of time experimenting with uh, sleeping bags, actually. Uh, I was reluctant to spend a lot of money on one of first. Um, so I got a pretty cheap uh, kind of 40, 40 Fahrenheit one, which uh, was good for the first trip. But then, yeah, pretty much anything near a winter or spring that did not hold up and uh, had a couple of pretty freezing nights out there so pretty much went straight to aria after that to pick up a, a better one and um yeah currently right now i'm using a, a kelty 20 fahrenheit bag uh which i'm a big fan of super compactable that's the biggest thing for me because i have I have a fairly small back i guess um yeah and then that's yeah that's pretty much my big my uh my pack setup um i always like to I was gonna say I always like to carry a camera, so I have a uh, a hitch for my backpack. Um, so that's that's an essential along with my uh, my sleeping bag and my pack is bringing a camera on my trips. That's great. What, how about a tent? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> shouldn't forget that. Um, yeah, again, pretty much with the tents, same as the sleeping bag. I kind of started out cheap, and then soon after realized that uh, definitely getting something lighter and smaller was the move. Um, and it was on a trip uh, last year when I was going to Peru that I really wanted to save space. So I uh, uh, dropped some money on a uh, big Agnes uh, ultralight tent. It was actually a pretty good sale at the time. So it seemed a good opportunity. Um, so yeah, ultralight uh, big Agnes is what I'm using right now. And that's what I'll be using for the GMT this year. Nice. How, how much did your pack weigh in Peru? Oh, honestly, like I, I don't even know. Um, it was pretty hefty uh, just because I was bringing kind of enough stuff just to survive the whole country as well as just doing some backpacking so um yeah i don't know it must have been like upwards of 50 pounds for sure um mm. pretty hefty but uh, yeah. yeah good training ever given any thought to maybe doing a tarp and a quilt 
Definitely. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things about uh, doing the GMT in September this year is that I guess the thing is, though, it's a little sketchy in terms of whether it could be, it could be really nice. We could have some pretty late warm weather, but it also could get some snow. So I'm undecided about that. Ideally, yeah, taking the top would definitely be fun for that. So yeah. So as you heard on the, on the pod, I, I did a trip out to Catalina with slow-mo and did the tarp and the quilt setup, And it was just, it was, perfect it was the end of june yeah. it was very temperate no problems whatsoever and then i i got bold and i took that out on a uh, uh overnighter with jukebox on the jmt to thousand island lake in september and it got down it got down to about you know 20 25 degrees overnight and it was i was i was shaking it was cold definitely i remember that episode and uh, i think i made a mental note at that point uh <laughs> like myself and i'm prepping for the jmt so yeah now you said you, you carry a camera with you other than other than an iPhone, it's an actual camera camera? I do, yeah. I'm a big fan of photography. Um, my dad was actually a photographer. He did some work for newspapers when he was younger, as well as being a, an architect. So he got me into photography. Um, I use a, a Canon camera. Um, I just pretty much have one lens that I always bring with me. Uh, so it can do, I'm a, I'm a landscape photographer, so backpacking is kind of the perfect setting for that. So yeah, for me, that really adds something to every backpacking trip is to um, take a couple of pictures and then be able to look back on them like in a week, a month, like a year's time and brings back the memories for me. I, since Instead of journaling, I take photos and uh, kind of document that. So that's my way of making note of the trips. And nobody tagged you with the trail name of Ansel? No, I know that would be, I mean, that would be, that would be something for sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely very inspiring though. Yeah. Great. Hey, after, after we're done here tonight, you need to send me some pictures of some of your trips so I can get that out on social media, do a little preview prior to the episode drop and that'd be great definitely yeah i look forward to that get to get a couple of new followers as well mm -hmm. so in our correspondence you shared your hiking trip history and you've been to some pretty cool places you mind if we take a cruise through some of those let's do it let's okay do it. hey i want to start with the one that has the best name i've heard of this I, i've heard it, i've heard the name before but i've never heard a description or anybody i've never talked to anybody who's who's actually been through it let's talk about desolation wilderness so where was, where was this? Was this your first overnighter? And just kind of take us through that trip. Yeah, so Desolation Wilderness. Um, yeah, first off, I think the name, the name is definitely wrong. It's definitely not desolate. It's one of, the, one of the most scenic wildernesses that I've seen in the U.S. and if not the world. Um, so Desolation Wilderness is up near Lake Tahoe. And it's on kind of like the southwest portion of it. So actually, um, if you're driving from kind of San Francisco, you're taking like the 50 out to Lake Highway 50 out of Tahoe. It's just before you pretty much descend down into the Lake Tahoe Basin. Um, and it's, it's pretty big. Um, I think if you, there's a, basically the, the PCT actually goes through Desolation Wilderness. And I think it's probably something like 45 miles will be actually the Desolation Wilderness section. Um, and it has great accessibility because I think there's actually five main entrances of Desolation Wilderness because it extends nearly right up to the, the south shore of Lake Tahoe. Um, so that's kind of a lower elevation then it really ascends up high. Um, yeah. And it's a really cool wilderness. Um, it gets, it gets a lot of people coming in because it is that really easy accessibility uh, for so many different places. So you get a lot of people out there day hiking and mainly they're on kind of like the first like two to four miles. But as soon as you get past that, there's like nobody out there, um, which is awesome, which is something that you definitely struggle to find anywhere in California. So that's definitely why I first really liked it. Um, yeah, so I did, uh, it was Memorial Day weekend, uh, I think in 2018 that I headed out there with three friends. Um, 
they'd done backpacking before and I hadn't. Uh, so yeah, super excited. It's my first overnight trip. And actually, I don't know if anybody remembers, but that Memorial Day weekend, the weather was crazy. Like a couple of weeks in advance, it was nice and warm. And then uh, I think on that Thursday and Friday, like it snowed in Desolation Wilderness and the weather was terrible. Um, so we had to kind of postpone for a day or two. We had our permit, um, but we didn't want to go in because it was so bad, actually, the weather. So we waited a bit. And luckily, I think it was on that Sunday. Um, yeah, it was like it was like day and night. It was like 40 degrees warmer, like bluebird sky. Um, and it was beautiful. So I think that's also why I probably put people off. So yeah, we headed out on the trail and probably saw like five people the whole weekend. Yeah. Um, so it was just a weekend trip? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just uh, ended up being um, actually just ended up being an, one overnighter. We, we planned to, but the weather was so bad that we had to wait a day um, and then we had to get back to work. So it was just, yeah, just a single overnighter. But um, yeah, that was just that alone was enough to, to be an awesome trip in itself. So what is the what is the scenery like? What's the elevation? Is there a lot of up and down on the part that you did? There are lots of different trails out there. Yeah, depending on when you start, depending on the location where you start, um, you can either start really high. Because uh, I think like Desolation Wilderness uh, maxes out at probably like 9,000 feet. And a couple of the trailheads start pretty up like seven or something. The one we started at was down uh, right by Lake Tahoe Shore. So that was uh, um, probably like 6,000 or so. So we had a pretty steep couple of miles straight off uh, straight off the trailhead. Um, yeah, really pretty forests. Um, Desolation Wilderness is just, it's just full of alpine lakes. Like you can't go a mile without seeing one. It's just a huge network of them, probably the most I've ever seen actually. Um, and the Desolation Wilderness uh, also features uh, this mountain range called the Crystal Range. And it got it, its name because it has these beautiful granite peaks and the sun just like sparkles off them. Like if you're not wearing sunglasses, I feel like you're gonna damage your eyes up there. So especially when it was a, a beautiful day as it was for us. So it sounds, um, sounds a little bit similar to the John Muir Trail with the Alpine Lakes and the, the granite faces. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Um, yeah, definitely reminds me of some places out in the eastern Sierra that I've been to. Um, yeah, just, yeah, full of beautiful lakes. Um, has some bears out there. Um, yeah, I'm sure plenty of other animals too. So did it live up to, to the hype? Did it live up to what you expected? Or how did it vary from, from what you expected? Honestly, we were like when we when we set out there to Tahoe that weekend with the weather, I was definitely uh, apprehensive and I had really no idea what was going to go down. But then I remember driving back to Davis to Sacramento area after, and it was yeah, I just felt like a new person. Um, it, yeah, I really had no idea what to expect, but it was uh, definitely the, one of the most memorable trips to date, as it was being that first one. But it was it was so perfect, I guess, with the weather and uh, yeah, the solitude out there, and just yeah, took some great pictures and yeah, nice, nice. And then last year you made it out to, and help me if I'm, if I'm, if I'm saying this incorrectly, is it Havasupai, Arizona? It is. Yeah. Havasupai. Havasupai. Okay. And I, I've, I've heard about that particular location, seen some great pictures on social media. Um, take us through that. What's that all about? How do you get there? What's it like? Yeah. yeah so um, yeah, Havasupai, it refers to kind of the, the Indian reservation um, and Supai is the name of this town. So pretty much this is this is a, an Indian reservation and it's in the greater Grand Canyon area. It's actually about, I want to say about 30 miles west of where the South Rim kind of national park is where the majority of people go. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's super isolated. Um, I think it's actually the most isolated town in the US. So the only way to get down there is to either hike, which is what we did, or take a mule down there or there's a helicopter actually as well. So the people that actually live down there, the uh, members of the Indian reservation, they get their supplies like uh come in by mule or helicopter 
Um, but we, yeah. And actually, if you do go there, you do actually have the option to, you take, or you can have your backpacks taken down on a mule. You can, if you want, you can take a helicopter down, but we decided to backpack it down fully. Um, so yeah, you didn't um, take, you didn't take the easy way in. You, you decided to hoof it in. Absolutely not. Definitely not. No, would that be a boy? Have to, have to earn it, I think. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so getting in terms of actually how you go about doing this trip, um, it's definitely very difficult because of the permit system. Um, I think it's from early February through November, pretty much every day between those dates, you can, you can go down there and they have a quota to get down there. I think it's about, they let 30 new people in a day and it's, um, it's in early January. I think, uh, the permit system opens and you need to be on there. Like the second that permit goes online, uh, because you've got people from all over the world that want to get that permit. So I actually tried the year before myself to get a free permit for some friends and, within like 10 seconds, the website was like frozen up and all the permits were gone. Uh, but luckily my friend, uh, she got in, she was determined this year to do it. So we were all on our computers at our houses doing it and she, she got lucky. So uh, we got free permits, which was great. So, so tell us what, what makes it such a high demand area to hike? I mean, how do the, I mean, what is, what about it makes the permits get snapped up in 10, 20 seconds? Pretty much, I guess you could say it's one of like the most Instagrammable uh, outdoor locations I think in the world. Um, if you just, for those who haven't really heard about it, just just give it a Google, and you're gonna immediately see uh, these beautiful blue-green waterfalls and uh, creeks. Yeah, so it's pretty much just like a set of three to four waterfalls over about a ten-mile distance that start in the town of Supai, and it runs this creek, Havasu Creek, runs down to the confluence of the uh, the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon. And, I, and it's kind of like a combination of a natural spring upstream of there, and also there's a lot of limestone in the uh, in the rocks. And basically, as the water's coming through, it just turns this like immaculate blue-green color. Um, so when you Google it, you're gonna think the photos are Photoshop, but they're honestly not. Um, it's it's one of the most like beautiful things I've ever seen being down there. It just kind of looks like it's an oasis, pretty much. And you just look at the Grand Canyon if you go to like the South Rim. It's it's kind of desolate, like you just see red rocks and dry and heat everywhere, but as soon as you get down into Supai, it, it changes the, the waters there. There's these beautiful green uh, kind of shrubs and trees popping up. And then there's just this amazing uh, blue-green uh, river. And it's, yeah, it's crazy. So is it is it pretty exposed or being down in like a little canyon area, it's it's kind of uh, cooler and more temperate? Yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it's pretty much in a in a pretty high walled um, canyon. Um, and actually that does create issues because uh, if it does rain a lot, it becomes kind of like a slot canyon and I know I think it was earlier this year actually I knew somebody um, that had a permit and actually they weren't able to go because they had, uh, they had uh, a lot of rain and they had to cancel it to safety because I think some unfortunately some accidents have happened in the past um, people have got trapped and it gets pretty uh, pretty dangerous down there so yeah you're in very high wall canyon um, so you are actually protected from the sun a little because the sun does get crazy hot down there um, but it's kind of like it's a microclimate um, so yeah, we went down there in March, uh, March 2019. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be as warm as it was, but it was really nice down there. Um, and the water itself, because it comes from this natural spring, the water's like 75 degrees all year round. So we were swimming in there and it's beautiful. Yeah, super clear, blue green water, just hanging out and yeah. Now, were there just two people in your group, just you and your friend, or did you go with more people? Uh, actually, on this trip, there was four of us. Uh, myself, a work colleague, an ex-work colleague, and uh, another friend um, in our work department, actually. So it was myself and uh, and three girls that we went on this trip. Um, 
myself and one of the others had backpacked before and the other two hadn't so they were super excited um this this actually is like a kind of a great first time backpacker trip as well because it's about it's about 12 miles where you hike pretty much just down from the trailhead all the way you're descending into the grand canyon essentially and then you get to the town where they give you your permit and then you hike on about another half a mile and they pretty much have like a designated campsite area for you next to the creek and you pretty much just kind of set up wherever you want they've actually put out some tables and stuff here and there so it is like it's it's kind of like nice set out ground for you which is cool and then uh, we stayed for um, four days total. So we're down there for three nights. So we just had our tent in the same location every night. We didn't need to pack it up. So each of us uh, carried like a day pack down as well so that we could kind of do some like day hiking out, out of the location as well. So 12 and a half miles in, 12 and a half miles out. That's about it? Yeah. Going down, going down was easy. Coming out, not so much. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. And uh, what kind of, uh, at, the, at the campsite, did they have any kind of accommodations, bathrooms or... Actually, yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah, they have. So they have fully functional bathrooms for you. Um, they also have like a, a water spigot. So you, you don't need to uh, filter or sterilize your water, which is awesome. So yeah, it's kind of like a great introduction uh, to backpacking, I think. So yeah, we definitely saw like a lot of different types of people down there, especially with like, because you don't actually have to hike down if you don't want to. So it was, we saw a lot of, uh, yeah, interesting people than you would normally see on a, a backpacking trip. So the the two newbies, the two, the two that, that this was their first time out, have you convinced them that this is what, what backpacking is all about and you got them signed up for the John Muir Trail now? Definitely, yeah. They definitely, yeah. Unfortunately, they won't be coming on the GMT this year, but um, yeah, they definitely, I know they've got into backpacking a lot since and now they're out there with their friends doing, doing a lot of stuff where they live. So yeah, I was glad that uh, it worked for them. Do they realize now that that's really kind of like glamping? It's not, not, not truly camping? Yeah, glamping is definitely the word for, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy because we were down there and um, there, there was a wedding shoot going on because um, I think it was a couple from Texas that took the helicopter in. So they're all dressed up in their, in their wedding gear and they're just having a uh, having a photo shoot in the, in the waterfall. Um, there was some guys from Spain who were there and they brought like an inflatable rubber duck. Um, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting experience. Um, it's definitely not your conventional kind of backpacking, but um it's definitely worth going to see. It is, I've never seen anything as beautiful as those, those waterfalls and those creeks. So it, I'd also say it is expensive to get a permit. It's about, it costs you a hundred dollars a day pretty much to be there. Um, so we decided just to go big and like spend four days down there. Cause it's, we probably would never go again. So yeah. And it is, it is a long drive depending on where you live. So yeah. Any unusual happenings or did everything go according to plan? Went to plan actually, yeah. No, we were super lucky. I feel like every, nearly every backpacking trip I've been on, like the weather has honestly cooperated, um, except for one, which I think we'll get onto later. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was seamless. Yeah, it was a great trip. Yeah, I, I teased that in the intro to this episode, so we're gonna we're gonna save that for a little bit later. See how that all turned out. Excellent. All right, Rob. One of the trips you've done before was in a wilderness area in California that I have never heard of before. Trinity Alps Wilderness. Tell us about that. What's what's the attraction uh, highlights? What, what what can you tell us about that trip? Yeah, Trinity Alps Wilderness definitely a uh, hidden gem for California, which is yeah, it's hard to say. I think for hiking. Um, so this is again actually the PCT does go through Trinity Alps, uh, the northern section of this for about twenty miles, um, and it's way up in north in like proper northern California, not where I am. Um, so you pretty much drive up I five as if you're going to Oregon. And you hit uh, you hit Redding, and then you kind of go northwest for about another hour, 
Um, so from where I am near Sacramento, it's, it was about, it was under a three hour drive to the trailhead. So proper Northern California. Absolutely. Yeah. Probably, yeah Pro- things, proper. That means, that means like really Northern California. It does. Yeah. You're getting the, yeah, the true Northern California. True, the true Northern California where, uh, yeah, you never know where you might see a Bigfoot out there. Proper. Um, so so it'd be like saying we're proper hikers means we're, we're, we're really the, the real deal. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah, and pretty much this wilderness. So you, at this point, you're going west of I-5. So actually, you're pretty you're pretty close to um, the coast, like Highway One, actually. Um, so yeah, I think we were probably only like 60 miles, I guess, directly from the coast, even less than that. So um, yeah, and at this point, like you don't really feel for me, it didn't really feel like we were in California. Um, it's definitely kind of like Pacific Northwest scenery. Um, I've actually never been to Oregon yet, but I've been to Washington and it feels very much like that. You've got these lush green, lush green, evergreen forests, um, very dense up there. But this, this wilderness is kind of similar to desolation. You've got some, some granite peaks and this was, uh, this was, again, this was Memorial Day weekend, um, which seems to be a common theme for me. And back, back I, sense, I sense a trend. Yeah. I'm going to make the most of those, uh, those three day weekends. So, um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful up there though. Um, and yeah, it, it is definitely out of the way. So a lot of people, yeah, either don't know about it or don't really want to kind of make the trek out there. Um, and even when I was doing research on which trails to do, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole bunch of information. So yeah, I was kind of just going off uh, Google Maps and kind of dropping some pins and looking for some views and kind of mapping it out from there. And was it an out and back or was it a loop? What was the, what was the trail like? Uh, this was an out and back. And uh, we spent, yeah, we spent two nights out there. Um, and I think we did, uh, we did about nine miles on the first day. And then the second day was, uh, we didn't really cover too much. We kind of just went a little further to, uh, uh, some, a couple more lakes pretty much where at the back of these lakes, you then just hit these big old granite walls and like snow cliffs. So you can't really go too much further than that unless you're actually climbing. So then we kind of backtracked a little and, uh, went out to a different lake. Um, yeah. And then came out on the, came out on the third day. And with your photography, you able to? Do you do any any astrophotography where you take uh, pictures of the night sky? I'm definitely trying to. Um, yeah, I recently upgraded my camera and uh, some lenses, so I think I, I've tried to in the past, and uh, I've got some stuff, but it, it it's not like what you would see on Instagram. But it, it's a start. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't really like to edit my photos too much. I like to leave them as they are, and uh, definitely astrophotography requires a little bit of editing to kind of make them pop. So. Yeah, but it, it's a lot of fun. Um, that's one of the best things for sure about backpacking is just getting to see that night sky. Um, if you make it past Tiger's Midnight or I like to send the llama and try and wake up and like so you can try and try and hit the Milky Way when it's arcing in the sky. So that is something I should have thought of setting an alarm. That that would be that would be helpful because I never make it to I barely make it to, to dark, let alone hike or midnight. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. I think like normally kind of in the in the you know, like the spring and summer months, the, uh, the Milky Way is visible, um, kind of pretty early in the morning, actually, rather than late at night. So uh, yeah, if I'm doing that, I go to bed a little earlier and then kind of try and wake up around like three, 4am and try and catch it, uh, before the sun comes up. And I'm excited because I, I only, I only carry an iPhone on, on the trail with me to take pictures. And the, my previous iPhone did not have any kind of night picture taking ability whatsoever i mean the, the stars would be crystal clear it would be it's in my mind it'd be you know bright out with the stars i take a picture and it'd just be a black screen uh on the on the phone there so and but I, i've got the i've got the latest iphone that does have um some nighttime ability and so i, I can't wait to get out there and, and give that a shot nice yeah these iphones these days seem to yeah pretty much have everything under the sun in terms of what they can do but 
I do, yeah, that's why I do like to carry a camera because there are certain things that I don't think they'll ever be able to do. And I think getting a good astrophotography shot is definitely one of those. Um, yeah. Yeah. You said, you said this was uh, about nine miles a day. What, what, what's your high mileage day? What, what is the biggest mileage you've done on a hike before? Uh, in a single day, actually doing half dome, you know, 70 in a day is probably the biggest. Um, yeah. I drove with a friend uh, from Davis. We left at like 11 PM. We got to Yosemite at about 3 AM and we just, we just hiked. We did an all-nighter and we just got out there and hiked and we got to the top of half dome at like 8 AM as the sun was rising. Um, wow. yeah, super, like jog back down to the car. Um, so I guess that was probably like, is that like 19 miles or something? Or 20 I think miles? so. Yeah. I think it's close to 20. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's a heck of a day. That's a, that's a, that's a long day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was it like up there at, at sunrise? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was, um, it was mid August. So if we were doing it during the day, we hit like a, you'd hit a thousand people, but cause we left at 3am, we actually didn't see anybody until we got to the cables um it was cool because it was a it was like a full moon as well so we didn't even need our uh didn't need our headlights uh we could pretty much just hike in like shorts and shorts and a shirt from 3am which was awesome um yeah and, like the the moonlight was lighting up the whole trail which was just a really cool experience um yeah I literally didn't see anybody we i remember going through like literally valley um at like 5am where there's like a lot of uh, cameras but nobody had really woken up yet So we're taking a little detour here from Trinity Alps, but I, I, this is a great story. I want to hear a little bit more about, about Half Dome. Um, what was your impression of, of going up the cables? Because I had heard about the cables just very loosely, didn't do enough research by far, and was shocked when I, I got there and saw how, how steep it was. Did you have a similar experience or were you, you, you knew about that? Yeah, definitely the same reaction for me. Um, Definitely Googling it, you get a, I think you definitely get a sense of how steep it is, but until you're like right at the base looking up, you think, oh man, this is, uh, this is pretty intense and there's cables there for a reason. Um, yeah, but um, I have like a, I guess a sensible fear of heights, but um, I wasn't too worried about that. Um, yes, yeah, I pretty much just kept my eyes up and looked down, which I think was definitely the move. Um, I remember a few bits where the planks of wood that they like bolt in get a little further apart and things get a little sketchier there, but um that was definitely the advantage of being there at 8 a.m. where there was nobody else there. So I wasn't, we weren't worried about people coming down and you kind of have to like step out the way to let people through. So that definitely helped a lot. I don't think I'd want to go up there when there's like a hundred people on it for sure. Um, yeah. And we just got up to the top uh, just after sunrise and it was, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, going down was definitely prefer going up and going down to be honest. Um, yeah. That's where, yeah. You kind of see the, the smoothness of the rock and it just kind of like disappearing off into the middle of nowhere. So yeah, but made it made it up and down with uh, with no trouble, so that was good fun. And was there a ranger there at that time of the morning checking permits? There was actually one about a mile as we were heading back down, and uh, yeah, they actually asked us to see it. Um, yeah, I think they were surprised that we'd been up so early, but uh, yeah, that was good. I think there was as we were coming down the cables, um, we saw two other people just get there, and they'd actually just finished. Well, they were about to just finish their GMT hike. Um, yeah, and actually that was one of the first times speaking to them that I kind of thought, oh, I think GMT would be, would be pretty cool to do. Yeah. <clears throat> there was a point when we finished the GMT, I haven't talked about it yet on the pod, but um, the, the last section from Tuolumne Meadows to Happy Isles, you get to that turnoff to um, Half Dome, and we had done Half Dome before. And so then you, you realize at that point, you see the turnoff and you realize that you have put feet now on every, every inch of the, the GMT. It was just a, a really cool feeling. So 
yeah, that's super cool. Can't wait to can't wait to get out there and do that. So back to Trinity Alps. Any any uh, true highlights or anything you want to share with with the listeners out there about Trinity Alps? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that first night when we set up camp, um, it had been pretty sunny all day and clouds were starting to draw in. But when we looked to the forecast in advance, we hadn't really. It was like maybe a little bit of rain, but nothing, nothing too crazy. So we weren't really worried. Um, but then I think I woke up at like 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. the next morning. Um, just kind of unzipped my tent and then like and snow was pretty much just falling off it. Um, and it was still too, too kind of too dark to see what was really going on out there. So I just fell asleep for another hour. And then when I woke up again, it was, yeah, it was just like a good three, four inches of fresh snow, which you definitely weren't expecting. But um, it was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it was just untouched snow. Um, it was super cloudy. I mean, you could barely see actually 10 foot in front of you at this point when we woke up. Um, and then kind of within the next couple of hours of the morning, um, the, the fog like really slowly cleared out. And actually I took some of like my favorite photos I've ever taken of the, uh, of some of the peaks in the distance, kind of half obscured by a fog half uh, half clear. So yeah, really, really pretty out there. Um, just kind of a really, a really pretty wilderness that, uh, I think if you get the chance, you, anybody should definitely make the trek up there and check it out. That sounds incredible. Waking up to uh, fresh snow and, uh, evidently you, you had the right gear with you because you didn't talk about being extra cold in the, in the tent at all. I was a little cold. This was, uh, I think still with one of the first sleeping bags that I bought. So things got a little chilly, but nothing, nothing too crazy. Uh, I think after living in Fargo and negative 50 temperatures, uh, I kind of stayed with you for at least a couple of years. So I think that definitely helped out. It's all a matter of perspective. If you start out in Fargo, everything else is easy. Exactly. Nice. Nice. Hey, Rob, let's go international and talk about your trip to Peru. Tell us a little bit about that. What was the hiking like? Uh, you know, you, you said you saw some of the country as well as the hike. It was both uh, just kind of sightseeing and hiking kind of a trip. Yeah, pretty much. So um, I did this with uh, my friend Casey, who uh, was one of the first people to get me into backpacking. Um, so we do a lot of our hiking and backpacking trips together, uh, pretty much anything outdoors uh yeah we have in common so we decided um early last year that we wanted to do this so actually originally i had planned to do the jmt last year but i didn't get a permit in the lottery and i didn't fancy uh trying to get a walk up so uh south america was our backup option and originally we wanted to get down to patagonia uh, and kind of check out some of those more kind of well-known places uh, but the flights were crazy expensive in september um so then like scrolling through Instagram looking for some inspiration and I think something it's called um the Wash circuit which is in Peru uh kind of popped up and this is just like a super cool region um I kind of checked that out and then I realized that Peru seems to be like yeah an absolute hiking backpacking outdoors mecca um and we took a look at flights and they were like a quarter of the price to Argentina so yeah uh come September we flew to Lima from LA um so south america was your backup plan that's not a bad backup plan not a bad backup plan at all to be honest yeah i can't, can't argue with that for a yeah for a trip um yeah so it wasn't the smoothest uh flight getting to peru uh we got some pretty bad delays so I actually ended up taking us nearly three days to get from la to peru um we spent a couple of days pretty much in different mexico airports um well, we had some delays and I guess maybe that was uh, the error of getting some pretty cheap flights is that you're subject to getting moved around a little bit. So, um, yeah, so we spent 12 hours in Mexico City just kind of wandering around and then some time in Guadalajara Airport as well. Um, but finally, we got to uh, we got to Lima, which is the capital of Peru. Um, yeah, we spent 
happy. Um, but by this point, we were, we were itching to, to get up into the mountains. Um, and when I guess when most people think of uh, hiking and backpacking in Peru, they think of Machu Picchu. Um, honestly, for us, this was kind of like, that would have been an added extra if we'd had the time and opportunity to do it. Um, because for us, we were, we were heading into northern Peru, actually, um, from Lima. Uh, to a city called Juarez, which is it's about ten or ten five or eleven thousand feet uh, from sea level. So this is you're getting up there now. Um, yeah. So so Lima is sea level pretty much, like ten foot above sea level. Um, get on a bus eight hours later, you're eleven thousand feet, and uh, yeah, stepping off the bus was was like straight to the straight to the lungs. So um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, this is yeah Juarez is a crazy cool place. Um, anybody that like wants to do anything remotely outdoors is, is going to be in Juarez at some point uh, in their lives. It's kind of keen on doing some big things. Um, so how, how many nights did you stay in Juarez before you started hiking? We decided we kind of didn't really have a plan really. We, we, we knew we should do a couple before we start uh, hiking to acclimatize. So we, we kind of guessed for like two or three. And I think, I think we did do three actually in the end. Um, so we did, uh, uh, my friend Casey and I, we're, we like mountain biking. So we actually kind of found a, found a guy that does mountain biking trips. So, one kind of morning was spent doing that, which was uh, really cool. So he kind of drove us up to, um, drove us up a little higher into the mountains, probably to like uh, nearly 13,000. And we pretty much just kind of rode our mountain bikes back down into the city, which was, which was a really cool experience. Um, and that was, yeah, that definitely doing it. Basically, as soon as we weren't cycling flat, we were going up. That was, that was, yeah. that was smart going from 13,000 to 11,000 rather than 11,000 to 13,000. That would have been a little more difficult, I think. Absolutely. I think, I think we made the right move there. So yes. yeah, shout, out to, uh, shout out to him for driving us up there and, uh, as we got to ride down. Um, yeah. So we spent one day doing some biking to acclimatize. And then the next day we took a, uh, we took a bus kind of, well, not a bus, kind of a, a small coach, I guess, or like small van uh, out to the mountains and uh, to see there's this, there's a lake called uh, Lake Paron. And it's, it's, it's a really pretty, uh, hopefully get an Instagram picture for you guys to post for this, uh, this particular lake. Um, and there's this kind of like pure pyramid mountain at the back of this lake. It, and the water is this like blue green, pretty much like uh, Havasupai is. And you just got this snow cap, like 22,000 foot mountain right at the back of the lake. And it's actually, uh, it's actually the mountain that they have for the Paramount uh, movie pictures, you know, at the start of a movie, that's actually the same mountain. Wow. Uh, so yeah, really pretty up there. So we kind of just like went out there for the day and kind of just like wandered around the lake to acclimatize again. So in our conversations leading up to uh, recording this episode, you made reference to a particularly nerve wracking bus ride. Was that the bus ride from the airport or was that this, this coach ride? No, this actually neither of those. Uh, okay. This, 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 this was a kind of a small van again. This was slightly better than the one I'm going to talk about in a minute. Um, but yeah, pretty much roads in Peru have, I don't know if it's the worst road safety in the world, but it's it's definitely up there. Um, they pretty much have one good road, I guess, that goes down the coast, connecting the big cities, and then after that, it's uh, tarmac kind of disappears pretty quickly, and uh, you're on kind of gravel dirt roads uh, pretty soon after that. So, yeah, and they they like to pack as many people into uh, their transports as much as possible. So, this particular day out to this lake was actually not a bad one, and uh, actually had my own seat, I guess. So that that was pretty nice. But um, yeah. It doesn't sound like it was safe social distancing. Absolutely not. That would definitely not fly out. <laughs> sure. Yeah, be kicked straight out of there. Um, yeah, and then I think uh, we had one one more day after that, actually, just to kind of wander around and get a bit of the, the city's culture and uh, 
yeah, there's parts of Lima are definitely a little kind of too tour, uh, touristy based, I guess. So being out in this uh, more remote kind of town, small city was uh, was really cool to get a flavor of what Peru is all about and the culture and the food and everything. So that was a fun day. We were kind of just like preparing ourselves, getting our getting our pack sorted, uh, picking up some uh, some gas canisters as well, that kind of stuff um, before waking up pretty early the next morning to get out on the trail. What was the, what was your best meal? Best meal in Peru. What can you recommend to us? Mm, best meal uh definitely the alpaca yeah i think alpaca and uh, guinea pig are kind of peru's kind of uh two foods what they're what they're famous for so yeah alpaca Ser- seriously yeah it's, it's beautiful alpaca it's, and guinea pig yeah guinea pig i was not such a fan of it's more of kind of like a skew like it's like a little guinea pig on a skewer like it's a little tough um but alpaca uh, alpaca is beautiful for me it's kind of like i don't know if you ever have bison but for me like bison is just like a better burger, I guess, but alpaca is like the next level up. It's just this really dark, rich, uh, flavor, flavorful meat. I, I didn't, I did not even know that was a thing. I thought alpacas were for their, their wool or whatever, you know, whatever. I didn't know they were, they were a, a, a viable meat to eat. Yeah. No, I think, uh, the Peruvians are pretty industrious people, I guess. So yeah, they'll, uh, whatever they can get from that alpaca, they're going to use. Wow. Okay. So this leads us to the, the, the big, uh, uh, dramatic bus trip. Yeah. So, um, so pretty much the reason we came to Peru was to do the, it's called the Santa Cruz trek. And, uh, this is out. So this city Juarez I've just been mentioning is, uh, it's right up in the Andes, 11,000 feet. And then pretty much the Andes like max out, I think are like, you know, 22, 23,000, some of the highest peaks and which is like, yeah, obviously like, you know, 10, like, 10,000 feet, pretty much more than anything we've got uh, in California or like continental US. So definitely mm-hmm. a big step up. Um, but yeah, we, we were really excited to do this. Um, and the Santa Cruz trek is, it's about a 36 mile point to point trip. And you can do it, uh, you can just, there's an end and a start and you can pretty much, doesn't really matter which one you do it, they'll, they'll drive you to either point and there'll be people that take you back each way. Um, and we decided to, uh, we decided to start high and finish low, um, which I think was def- definitely the move. Smart. Um, yeah. So we were in, whereas I like, we woke up at about 3am and we're suddenly out on the street and we're trying to find a ride. Um, people have been, people online are given pretty good directions of how to kind of get to this trail. Um, but it's definitely a little harder when you're actually there in the moment of 3am in the dark, trying to kind of find somebody that's going to give you a ride to the right place and not somewhere else. Um, so we pretty much like, yeah, packed into this very small minibus um, and it drove us a couple of hours to the next city. And from there um, we got into another mini little minibus van. And at, at first we had our own seat, which is cool. And then suddenly like every couple of uh, hundred meters, it's stopping picking up people on the way, kind of just like going about their daily business, like with a couple of chickens suddenly get on board, you know, it's going down. Uh, yeah. So suddenly this, this little uh, van, which should probably fit like a max of seven people in, there's like 16 of us in this thing. I got like three people sitting on top of me. Um, at this point, like our packs, my friend Casey and I, our packs are strapped to the top of this bus. Did I anybody was... ask you to hold the chicken? No. That no okay. Probably for the best. I would have thrown it out the window, honestly. If no <laughs> um, yeah. So we got our packs strapped on top of this van, like, at this point, I have no idea if the pack's even going to be there when we get off the uh, when we get off the van. So I was just kind of I was stoked when I saw my pack again, to be honest. And we got out of that thing. Um, but yeah, so from whereas it was about it was about a four hour journey up into the mountains. Um, yeah, and yeah, like I said, we're we're getting straight onto these gravel roads. 
uh, all the time. We just we go around these sharp, windy corners. Um, I'm tired, you know, like it's it's hard. Like I got a headache from just like not being able to like get any fresh air and like we got these windy. So I was, I was just yeah, I was just praying that we were gonna get off this thing soon. But the the journey was just dragging on, and we were going we were going up like a thousand feet every like 20 minutes. Um, kind of check my watch, and suddenly we were at like 15,000. I was like, oh, this is insane. Um, and at one point you kind of come around this corner and the exposure is, it's pretty gnarly. Like there's like a 5,000 foot drop off, like, you know, on a, on a one car lane road when then suddenly another van comes around the corner and you, I just like close my eyes and the driver's like kind of like looking over his shoulder, talking to his mate. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well. Um, you, see, oh, man. Kind of, you see these memorial signs as you go up the road where I guess like previous accidents have happened. And uh, yeah, I kind of just close my eyes at this point and you're just going up these incredible like switchbacks with, like this huge panoramic view um yeah so it was not a it was not a wide two-lane highway with a nice guardrail to keep you on the side of the mountain it was it was not like that at all it was not no this is uh this is the true peru i think so yeah interesting to see it in that aspect but yeah very 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 glad to get off that thing in one piece um yeah so i think it was probably about 9 a.m 10 a.m when we actually got to the trailhead and we were like I think we're at about 14,000 feet, I, I want to say, at this point. So we're, we're pretty high, and it hits you immediately, to be honest. Um, and the dude just, like, chucks you out and uh, <laughs> you back to you, and he says, right, good luck. Um, yeah, and interestingly, on the on the bus ride up, there was actually a couple of other people doing the same trail as us. Um, there was a guy and his uh, his fiance from England. Uh, so I had fun chatting to those guys. Um, they, yeah, they pretty much came to approve for pretty much the same thing as us to do this trail and then kind of do a bit of a uh, sightseeing as well um so we kind of like hike with them for the first mile or so but they, they were, were they from cool. were they from sissinghurst they definitely weren't no they'd never heard of it so that was <laughs> um, yeah yeah so we kind of yeah we had a we had a good fun chatting to them for a bit getting to know them but um they were definitely they were a lot quicker than us uh they were both about seven foot tall so they had some pretty big strides um so we kind of saw them off going into the distance um we didn't we, we didn't see them again actually until the end which actually kind of worked out interesting um so yeah, so pretty much where we started, it's it's really green. You're in this, which is kind of strange to believe because you're so high that if you're in California or like Colorado, you're going to be like granite and that's in pretty bare. But at this point, it's it's super lush green still, which is cool. Wow. Uh, didn't really see any snow at this point. So yeah, I was curious when we're going to hit some of that stuff. Um, pretty much, yeah, spent the first day. Um, was was pretty enjoyable, to be honest. I think we only gained about 800 feet for the day. We did about um, We did about nine miles on that first day which was nice. And we kind of just like rolled into a, they kind of like have laid out like designated campsites along this 35 mile trek where they kind of encourage you to uh, set up tent in to kind of minimize your impact on the environment. Um, you said you gained 800 feet. I thought you were hiking downhill. Oh, sorry. The, yeah. First day, first day we had to go up a little um, in, oh, okay. in, in general, this, the, so the direction we did um, you, you it's downhill is the majority of the elevation, but, over the trip, we did have to gain, I think we gained 2,000 feet from where we started and we went down by like 6,000 feet. So yeah, there's was, was still a bit of work to do. I wasn't all, wasn't all as long as I thought it would be. And work it, work to do at 14,000 feet, that, that is hard work. It's a different story for sure to uh, kind of like nine, 10,000 feet because yeah, I, I was kind of curious because both my friend and I, we've had a little, uh, we're not that great, I guess, with elevation. I, I normally actually get a little altitude sickness even kind of like at eight nine thousand feet if i'm not staying hydrated um so we were definitely curious of how we were going to do with this but um 
that's why yeah we wanted to stay in Juarez for a good couple of days to really kind of acclimatize and I think that was a great move because that definitely helped us um oh yeah I forgot to mention back in Juarez uh one of the first things people recommend you do is get a hold of some uh, cocoa tea or um cocoa candy uh which is pretty much I guess like the main ingredient in cocaine um which is legal in Peru and uh Bolivia I think uh to help the locals deal with the altitude so it's just like a very kind of like I guess it's like kind of like a five, ten, five or ten percent. I guess like kind of cocaine. Some we are pretty much taking, but it's it's safe and, and legal there, which is great. And um, they give you they give it to you in kind of tea leaves, dried out, so you can put them in like a cup of tea and make that, or you can kind of just like suck on these uh, like candies. Uh, so we made sure we stock up on that. Uh, so so being being high helps with the altitude, huh? Exactly. Yeah. In all, <laughs> in all senses of the word. Yeah. Yeah. So we. Yeah. It's kind of a shame to not bring that back to California for things like Whitney. So yeah, that was, that was enjoyable at the time though. Um, yeah. And I guess for this particular trail, um, there's a lot of ways you can do this. You can, we did the most basic where we were like fully supporting ourselves. So we backpacked out there with our packs and we carry all our food. Um, but I guess the majority of people going kind of do it with some Sherpas um, and kind of like lead expeditions. So they can either kind of carry like a smaller bag or kind of their own backpack as well. But um, the Sherpas or the, the local Peruvians will pretty much provide all of the food and the tents for them. So that's, uh, yeah. So this kind of trail caters to kind of all needs from all over the world. So, so I don't know that I would actually call that glamping, but that's definitely a, a step up. I mean, at 14,000 plus feet to have your own Sherpa, who's going to carry stuff and cook for you. Uh, you're still doing a lot of work, but you know, that's definitely a, a, a better way to go, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, definitely, definitely by no means uh, a walk in the park at that elevation. But um, I could, yeah, we could kind of smell the food that they were cooking from, uh, from their tents. And it definitely uh, looked a lot nicer than the ramen that we were, we were tucking into that night. So, yeah. Buddy, Buddy is a big fan of ramen. He does ramen and spam. Did you, do you have any, anything you like to add to your ramen? Are you just uh, strictly a, a ramen aficionado? Interesting. Yeah, spam. That's uh, I go. I guess I go a little, uh, little more upmarket than that. I like to put a bit of salami in mine sometimes. I've um, gone. I've gone with ramen and tuna frequently before. Uh, tuna. That's a good move. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of that. Yeah. Spam is. Uh, spam is a, on a low budget day for me. I guess if I'm, I'm gonna go for that. <laughs> Buddy, if you're listening, he just called you low budget. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty safe. He doesn't listen to the. He doesn't listen to the podcast. He only. He only records for me occasionally. He's admitted that he doesn't listen. So, <laughs> all right. So, how did the uh, how did the trip end up? What was the highlight of, of the trail? Uh, I think the highlight of that particular trail was also one of the the hardest bits too, um, and that was going over. It's called uh, Punta Union Pass, and that was the highest point on the trail, which was I want to say it was fifteen thousand nine hundred feet, so just wow. below sixteen thousand. So, and this was on day two um so yeah we got up pretty early and yeah again just we're going out early we're going uphill um and yeah we were, we were taking as much uh cocoa tea and candy as we thought was safe to do but at some point that that doesn't quite cut it um and yeah i was i was definitely a little slower than my friend casey um he was doing pretty well um compared to me so i was definitely a little bit behind him and it was it was definitely the hardest like mentally and physically thing I've had to do, uh, outdoors, I guess. Um, yeah, really, really hard work. Just kind of putting, it was, it was hard to like focus and put one foot in front of the other at this point. Um, yeah. Well, as, I, as I can attest to, there is no shame in being the, the slow poke of the group. I mean, 
the fact that you're out there doing it, uh, you're, you're one of the top uh, 1% because the other 99% of the people aren't, are not doing it. So <clears throat> don't, don't, uh, don't take any shame at all about being slow. I, I, it's a good spot to be in. Yeah. I tried yeah, try not to be at that point. There was, uh, definitely some people out there that were a little slower than me and, uh, you know, we kind of kept overtaking each other and having a chat and kind of like, uh, gearing each other up and, uh, I think there were some guys from uh, the Czech Republic. We couldn't really actually communicate because they didn't speak English, but we could kind of, you know, we could kind of tell that we were we were struggling and that we were kind of just like cheering each other on. So that was kind of cool. I enjoyed that. Um, yeah. And at this point, like every 20, every 20 steps, I would have to stop and like find a rock to sit on because my head was just throbbing. Um, and my legs honestly kind of felt a little disconnected from my body at this point. Um, they just, they just feel kind of like, like jelly. So yeah, that was, that was definitely hard. Um, and you, yeah, kind of look down at my watch and my heart's going like about 220 beats per minute, um, which is a lot, a lot more. I have a pretty like low heart rate generally. So yeah, kind of to see that like thumping and thumping away is, uh, is hard. But um, yeah, my friend Casey made it up to the pass probably about 25 minutes before me. And he, uh, he cheered me on for that last bit. So that was cool. Um, and to get up to this pass is awesome because you're at like, you're at glacier level at this point. You can see these glaciers like half a mile away from you. And the view is stunning up there. Um, and you're pretty much kind of like straddling part of the Andes. So really cool experience. So the hardest part, but the coolest part of that trip. Do you remember to take some pictures in your, your state of uh, exhaustion? I did. I snapped off a few. I didn't take as many as I wanted to because I really was struggling. Didn't, didn't want to kind of like open up my pack and get it out. So yeah, I actually took more, I think, on my phone on, uh, on this particular trail than this one. So yeah, but yeah, it was worth bringing. Um, and then honestly, actually, as soon as we started going down the pass on the other side, I was just kind of hoping that my symptoms of altitude sickness were going to kind of alleviate pretty quickly. But um, they honestly got a little worse, even as we dropped like 500 feet below. And uh, we were hoping to get a little further that day. We kind of set, set a point on the map that we wanted to get to. But my, yeah, my legs, my legs were just getting worse. Like I, like my head was feeling better, but actually my legs just like didn't feel connected and uh so I kind of like stumbling a little. So we kind of just made it down as much of the pass as we could to find like a, a more level piece. And then just, it was probably only like 2.30 in the afternoon at this point. And I, I couldn't go any further. So we just had to set up a, set up our camp and I just got inside and didn't come out again really. Kind of like cooked whilst laying down and yeah. So that was you, definitely you, did not, you did not require the assistance of a, of a chopper. Did not. Yeah. Thank goodness. I don't know. I don't know if they'd even come up there to be honest. And uh, I, don't know my, I don't know if my health insurance would have covered that either. <laughs> yeah. But fortunately I uh, woke up the next morning and felt, uh, felt tons better. So that was nice. Um, and originally we planned to take an extra day, but then the weather was actually drawing in a little and it was getting a little colder and we had a couple of rain showers and uh, we heard from some people that the forecast was looking pretty bad. So my friend Casey and I just made the decision to, get out and leave that day so we covered um i think we covered like 16 miles uh, just on that day to get down which was doesn't sound like a lot but again at that altitude like even flat and downhill was was hard work so yeah that, that, that was fun that was that was good to get off the mountain but it was it was great to look back on probably some i guess like classic type two fun i think was that trip <laughs> yeah well that's that's impressive i can't wait to see some of the pictures and uh for the listeners out there just want to let you guys know that you know, we have a trail correspondent who uh, has been at just about 16,000 feet. So I think in, in, I think that, that qualifies you to be a proper trail correspondent. Perfect. That's, that's, a, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice title to have up a bit on my resume. 
<laughs> I'm not sure how much more how much more money that'll get you, but you know, put it on your resume for sure. Very good. good. Something to talk about in an interview. Nice. All right. And finally, let's get to that trip that I teased in the intro when you were on the side of Mount Shasta and you ran into some, some uh, interesting times up there. Had you ever done anything like that before in terms of, you know, summiting Mount Shasta? I haven't. No, I think before Shasta, the closest thing I'd done was probably half dome, to be honest, which is definitely very different. Um, but in terms of intensity and Peru, I guess as well, uh, something similar. Um, but yeah, Manchester is a, is a different kind of ball game altogether. Um, I guess for those that don't know about Manchester, it's, um, it's right off the I-5 as you're going. Um, it's actually, um, if you're going to Trinity Alps, you're actually going to, you're going to see Mount Shasta as long as it's a clear day. Um, I've actually seen Mount Shasta from like 200 miles away. Uh, like when I've been north of Sacramento, it's, it's a really crystal clear day. You, you can see it because it's, it's so prominent and it's pretty much like right off of the I-5 and the I-5 is so straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a really, uh, it's a really pretty mountain. It dominates the skyline. Um, and it's pretty much like a perfect pyramid um, because it's at this point, Mount Shasta is in the Cascade range. Um, so this is kind of the, the range which like Mount Rainier uh, and Mount Hood are in. So it's, it'd be kind of getting into that like Pacific Northwest kind of scenery. Um, so it's, yeah, it doesn't really feel like you're in California at this point. Um, yeah, I've driven by it a couple of times. My, my oldest daughter went to school in Southern Oregon. And so I had driven, driven her up and back a couple of times and you're right. It dominates the, the, the skyline. You, you, there is no missing Mount Shasta when you're in that area. Yeah, absolutely not. It's, yeah, it, it is, it is really striking. And for, for me, that's why I wanted to uh, try and summit it because I think it was a year before we actually did the summit of Shasta is when I saw it for the first time uh, when I was just in kind of a weekend trip up in that area. Uh, Cause there's so many cool uh, waterfall, uh, big waterfalls up there. So I was kind of doing a hiking photography trip and I saw it. And then immediately I said to my friend that I, I want to climb that. Um, not really knowing what that entailed at that point. Um, but yeah, I just remember getting home that day and I just Googled it straight away. I mean, I went on YouTube and looked at how to climb Mount Shasta. So yeah, um, how hard could it be, I guess, was what I thought immediately. Um, so was there some mountaineering involved in this? Is it much different than, uh, say, hiking hiking in Peru? Is it? Uh... Yeah. Um, yeah, Peru is like a, a mountaineering capital for sure. Um, but the trek that we did definitely didn't involve any mountaineering. Um, we were expecting maybe a bit of snow we were going to come across, but actually we didn't come across any snow at all. Um, whereas Mount Shasta is, it's probably like one of the best introductory mount, uh, mountaineering trips you could probably think of um, along with a couple of others in America. But um, yeah, Manchester is definitely a, a good one to do for kind of a first time uh, beginner mountaineer or intermediate. Um, yeah. And my friend Casey that I've been mentioning uh, who I did Peru with, uh, he had actually mountaineered before in British Columbia, uh, up in Canada, and he did a I think he did a kind of a week trip up there where he didn't he did some kind of glacier crossings and pretty much kind of like basic mountaineering where you need you need your crampons and you need an ice axe to keep you alive in case anything goes wrong. Um, and that's pretty much what Shasta is. Um, do you need an ice axe and you do you need a cramp uh, you do need crampons? Um, I've heard people do it in snowshoes. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it personally, having snowshoed and used crampons. Um, and depending on what time of year you can do it, um, like super late in the season when there's most of the snow melts, you could you could do it. You can kind of do more scrambling and like more. You probably need rope at that point because of the boulders. But um, we did it in uh, we did it in uh, June, 
and at this point there was still a lot of snow up there so you had you had a lot of like snow to cross um and the elevation like the 45 degree angle 50 degree angle you're going up definitely requires uh the ice axe and crampons uh because if you if you slip um there's no stop and that you're, you're shooting to the bottom for sure so take us through the, those moments where you got to i think it was misery hill and uh casey began to experience some difficulty how had that all turn out yeah it's funny on uh, on mount shasta they they've kind of like named certain sections of it with pretty intimidating names because there's avalanche gulch uh misery hill and there's one other one i can't remember but it's yeah it definitely kind of like strikes fear into you um, <laughs> so after we'd like slugged our way up avalanche gulch in the dark um we kind of crested a little ridge and uh it's called a full summit where you think you see the summit but actually it's just a it's just another like section before it then rises again so at this point um we're at about eleven and a half thousand feet going up. Uh, are, you, are you sitting? Are you sitting in the parking lot of a of a speedway, is it a race car track over there? It's really going down out here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody's like coming out now. The heat waves are uh, going away, so people are getting their their one hour of exercising for the hill, their freedom from the house. Yeah, hopefully that's not going to interfere. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so we're getting pretty high at this point. Misery Hill, uh, Shasta is. Uh, just over 14, I think it's 14,100 feet, the summit. Um, so it's uh, second second highest in California after Whitney, uh, which is a few hundred feet higher. So we're going up Misery Hill. Um, Casey's in front of me, plodding away. Um, I was feeling pretty good at this point, actually. I had like, when I camped the night before at about 10,000, I was feeling a little not so great, but then I woke up feeling good and kind of like seemed to reverse. So Casey, then when we got a little higher, he was feeling sick while ourselves feeling good. And he was about 20 feet in front of me. Um, and suddenly he just kind of falls over like head first into the snow. And at this point, like, luckily the angle is not as steep at this point. You've the avalanche gulch, which is before is the biggest bit where you got to be careful. At this point, if you fall over, you're, you're not going to like slide down. So that, that was lucky for sure. Um, but it's pretty narrow up there. Like if you, you want to go too far to the left or right, otherwise you're, you're going off like pretty steep edges all the way to the bottom. Um, I just thought he was joking around, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I didn't really see. Yeah, I actually took. I actually took a photo of him as well. Ah, so nice. It because it was a great opportunity, and yeah, I'll have to send you guys that photo. That, that, yeah, please do. That's reminiscent of my photo of slow mo after his his spill on Catalina. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was too good to pass up. So that's right. To come around quickly. Um, but as soon as I kind of like walked over to him, I could see that like he definitely wasn't doing well. Um, checked his vitals, but he was he was still breathing. So that was that was definitely the the best situation possible um but he was do you, do you let him know that you got a great photo of him i did i told him and he mumbled something i don't think it was uh, <laughs> word friendly at that point but um <laughs> yeah his, his eyes were closed so um yeah he definitely wasn't doing well um but i managed to get him to sit up um and get him some water and i had like an electrolyte gel that i kind of like fed into him um but at this point he couldn't really stand so at this point i was thinking that's the end of the trip you know there's no way we're gonna push on because we've still got like at least a thousand foot to go still um so it wasn't looking good um but after a while he definitely came around okay within like 20 minutes um i was also a little concerned about the time because it was getting ideally you want to summit kind of by like 11 a.m because the later you get in the day the softer the snows get which makes it a little more dangerous in terms of uh like footing on the mountain like potential avalanche if it, the snow's getting softer as well um so that was definitely on my mind as well um but yeah after a little while he convinced me that he was doing fine and i held up like some fingers and made sure he could kind of see clearly and 
you know, he was, yeah, he, he was together and he was adamant that we were, we were going to get to the top. So I just told him that, like, if that happens again, then we're going straight down. Um, and I trusted him. So, and luckily I was in, yeah, in hindsight, it was good that we pushed on because uh, he, yeah, he was definitely had like a, had a fire in him after that. And he was pulled us to the top. So yeah, that was, that was the one, yeah, the scariest moment of that whole trip. But after that, it was pretty easy going to get to the summit. Wow. It's, it's like a story straight out of, uh, you ever see Maru? I think we talked about it in one of the episodes. Did, yeah. That's, yeah. That, that, that's actually one of the, the things that inspired me to want to try mountaineering is watching that. Um, just, yeah, that's, it's so epic. And what those guys do is insane. And yeah, Shasta was a good taste of that, um, for sure. And are you able to give Casey a trail name based on, uh, either of those trips? I mean, it sounds like there's some pretty good material there. Yeah. As, I mean, it's gotta be to do, I mean, it has to, I think his trail name has to be uh, sleeping related because uh, I always end up driving whenever we go backpacking and he sleeps in the car. Uh, he can sleep anywhere, that boy. Um, he slept on the side of uh, Shasta for a little bit. He had a little nap on the side of Shasta. Uh, <laughs> when we were going on that uh, that van, Peru were like bouncing around with four people sitting on top of him. He was he was passed out. Um, yeah, I'll, get, I'll have to get back to you on the name, but it's it's definitely going to be uh, sleeping orientated for sure. You know, I haven't met Casey, and I hope he hope he doesn't mind me speculating here, but I would suggest uh, maybe naps. I like it, Sean Sweet. I, mm-hmm. think, I think I think he's going to be stoked with that. Yeah, right. I'll let him know. Very good. So, um, what was dicier, the trip up or the trip down from Shasta? Uh, definitely the trip up. Um, yeah, the trip down in. The majority of mountaineering is as definitely as dangerous as going up, but um, mm-hmm. for us, the hard work was done on the way up, and the fun the fun was definitely had on the way down because as we get to Avalanche Gulch, which is this really steep section, um, it would actually be pretty dangerous to try and hike down due to the angle, and with like crampons, like it'd be easy, you'd be more likely falling over if you tried to hike down. So, what people do is they uh, I think it's called glissading, uh-huh. they like sit down, and then it, it's it's steep enough that you can pretty much just like fly down there and. Uh, we pretty much found like a uh, a gully where enough people had done it, so they kind of carved it a little smoother for us on the snowfield. Um, so yeah, we did, it was like a little uh, it's like a water slide pretty much in the end. Um, but it, I mean, it, we got pretty fast, and you have to we had to use our ice axe to kind of control our speed so we weren't going too fast because yeah, it could it could be some like little uh, denser snow patches and boulders kind of hidden here and there. So mm-hmm. I think what took us like four and a half hours to climb up took us twenty minutes to go down. Wow. That's some serious glissading. Nice. Yeah, I recommend it just for that. You got to, you got to try Shasta. All right. Any other last thoughts on Shasta? Yeah, I actually forgot to mention in our previous conversations and uh, on this podcast. Um, so for Shasta, we, uh, we hiked up to what they, to what they call base camp, which is called Lake Helen, which is uh, about 11,000 feet the way up Shasta. And it's after that point is where the kind of the mountaineering starts. And we were, there was not that many other people up there, to be honest with us. Um, and uh, we we wanted to start at like 3 a.m., but we both woke up and were like, we weren't feeling great. So we wanted to get like another hour of sleep because um, ideally you want to be starting, honestly, like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. to get Chester in so the conditions are safer. So we ended up starting pretty late. We we're definitely the out of the people that were doing, uh, that were at base camp. We were the last to start. And as we were just getting our crampons on and starting our ascent on Avalanche Gulch, um, we actually saw uh, a lady, she was coming up. And um, so she came over us and we had a chat and she'd actually just driven and parked her car at the trailhead and at something like 11 a.m., uh, sorry, 11 p.m. that previous night. And she'd just hiked through the night. And by that by the point we were starting, she'd made it to base camp. 
So she was doing it in like one single push, which to me was insane because a doing it in a dog was hard because it, it's a hard, it's it's a hard trail to follow actually. Uh, it's a lot of kind of like big boulders. It's not very clear. So mm-hmm. even doing it the day we had to kind of check out the way we were going a couple of times. So she yeah she was she she did a great job getting up there. Um, and also uh, like me, she had never done any mountaineering before. She I think she got her gloves. Uh, and she got a helmet I think from a guy in the in the parking lot at 11 p.m. I don't know. I guess he was sleeping there or something and. Um, I think he saw her without a helmet. He's like, you're going to need this. So he gave her his helmet and she, I think she said she'd rented some, uh, ice, ice axe and crampon just from the town earlier that day. Um, so I felt a little more confident at that point, knowing that there was some, there was another amateur out there doing it with me. So yeah, we ended up, uh, going up avalanche gulch with her and we kind of all about the same speed, which was great. Um, she was, she was on her own. She was on her own. Yeah. She was, uh, she was, sure. Um, she had some, she had some cool stories for us. She'd, uh, She's a big wave surfer as well. She's known for that. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of big solo traveling trips, uh, uh, backcountry snowboarding. Yeah, she, she was a badass for sure. So I don't think she has to really phased her, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it was, so that was, that was kind of cool to hear her stories as well. Um, yeah, her name was Alo and she's from Santa Cruz. And I've managed to catch up with her and do some mountain biking when I've been down there as well. So it's nice to keep in contact with her. Um, Does she listen to the pod? She doesn't, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her onto it for sure. Nice. She has to now. I mean, you you've given her a shout out. So shout out. Maybe yeah. Maybe we can even get a feature with her because she definitely has some uh, some cool and some cool stories for sure from the trail. Yeah. Um, nice. so yeah. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and she made she did. We basically went up to the summit with her as well. And um, yeah, so that was that was a really cool experience. Um, yeah, exchange stories over that. So we've heard about Casey. We've heard about is it Ello? You said Ello. Yeah. Yeah, and you did a shout out to uh, family and friends back home in in England. Any other yeah. shout outs while you're here? Um, yeah, I'll give a shout out to my uh, JNT hiking partners for September if we hopefully get the chance to do it. Um, so my girlfriend uh, Majory and her brother are actually going to be doing the JNT with me, um, and her brother Jack actually did the PCT last year. Um, but because of the uh, the snow in the Sierra, he actually had to pretty much skip out the JMT section for his PCT hikes. So uh, it's kind of working out well that he's going to do it with us so he can kind of complete his PCT, I guess. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that trip. It's going to be a lot of fun. Nice. I always like to have guests give shout outs because I know that they'll, they'll tell them, hey, I was on this podcast and I shouted you out. So now you have to listen. So it just builds, it builds listenership. It's, it's kind of marketing. So definitely. Yeah. We'll get yeah, them on some time and yeah. Actually, Jack, uh, a PCT hiker, get on. He's yeah, he's got some great stories from uh, his uh, his hike he did last year. Nice, nice. All right, so hey, that takes us uh, through the the stories we wanted to cover. Do you have a, we're we're at that point in the episode now where we talk about the the pro tip inside of the week. What stood out to you that we can share with our listeners so that they don't make the same mistakes we do out there? Yeah, I think my pro tip is definitely going to be uh, elevation. Uh, elevation concern that seems to be the unifying feature of my trips uh, respect the elevation because it's going to creep up on you one minute you're feeling fine um, and next minute you might be uh, you might be face down in the snow and having a nap uh, like Casey um, so yeah keep yourself hydrated uh, make sure you're getting enough sugar in and like you're replacing the salt you're losing in your sweat um, yeah that's that's the biggest thing for me is respect that elevation yeah nice respect the elevation solid pro tip of the week Nice job. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 17 is in the books. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I want to thank trail correspondent Rob for sharing his stories and letting us get to know him. 
I'm really looking forward to the trails opening and hearing more from Rob out there in the wild. Rob, any, any uh, final comments? Oh, looks like we may have lost Rob all of a sudden. He must have just dropped out. That's okay. We'll finish off here. So remember, if you are interested in being a guest contributor for the John Freakin' Muir pod, there are a number of ways to get in touch. There's email at johnfreakinmuir at gmail.com, as well as Twitter at johnfreakinmuir, and Instagram, johnfreakinmuir. And for clarification, there is no G in freaking. So that's a wrap from the John Freakin' Muir studio. Thank you for tuning in. And always remember, the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill. Doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.